bonus So Money episode. How will robots impact our financial lives? You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. A lot of us are looking forward to, if we're not already, to leveraging machines to help us with retirement plans, to help us with goals such as buying a house or really moving to another location um, geography-wise. And so we think machines will be in a much better position to give us the just the facts, ma'am, on whether or not we should pursue a purchase. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. How do you feel about the idea of robots playing a bigger role in our financial lives? I mean, what does that even mean? (laughs) Well, I recently teamed up with cloud computing firm Oracle to ask over 9,000 consumers and business leaders around the globe about their thoughts on the relationship between money and tech, specifically artificial intelligence, AI, and robots. And what we discovered is that two in three people, 67%, say this, they trust robots more than humans with their money. Is this you? And eight in 10 consumers think automated tools will replace personal financial advisors in the coming years. So why is this? Well, joining me today to discuss this complex topic and to break it all down, it's a special bonus podcast brought to us by Oracle. My guest is Kimberly Ellison Taylor, who has a diverse background in finance and technology. She's currently an executive director at Oracle. And previous to Oracle, she held positions at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, Motorola, and KPMG. So she and I discussed the benefits of leveraging technology in our financial lives. What will this mean for us? For business owners, also for CPAs and financial advisors, what about the humans who are playing such an integral role? Are their jobs in jeopardy? Also, Kimberly shares personal stories of her upbringing and what drove her to the field of tech and science, which we know is still a male dominant field. So much to unpack. Here is Kimberly Ellison Taylor. Kimberly Ellison Taylor, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am so proud to partner with you and the whole team at Oracle. For many weeks now, I have been busy in the media talking about this survey that we worked on together, the Money and Machines Study, which for listeners who aren't familiar, who maybe haven't seen me on all of the television shows, this is a study that Oracle conducted more than 9,000 consumers and business leaders across the globe, 14 countries, to better understand our relationship with money, how the pandemic has changed that, and more importantly, how we now think of technology and the quote-unquote robots as uh, a supportive role in how we think about money, manage money, all of that. And I want to go through some of the findings. But first, Kimberly, welcome. It's so uh, such an honor to have someone at your caliber on our show as a female woman of color executive uh, in the tech industry at Oracle. First, tell us a little bit about how, what, what made you fall in love with your, with your niche, with technology. Absolutely. And I will tell you that I decided that I was going to pursue a career in technology 
1988. <laughs> Seems like yesterday. What, what, what was our technology back then? It was like the big box <laughs> computers and um, Atari, right? That was it. Exactly. It was pagers. It was, <laughs> yes, nowhere near the smartphone capability that we have today. But I thought that it would be useful in the future. And I wanted to use it to complement my being a CPA. And I think it has worked out because technology is such a game changer and it enables, I would say, smaller organizations to be on an even playing field with larger organizations, even as it helps organizations get better in touch with their clients and customers. So just exciting all the way around. Yeah, technology can really be an equalizer in so many ways. Um, In some ways, the pandemic has out of necessity brought a lot of businesses to adapt to technologies or fast forward a lot of their five or 10 year plans with regards to innovation and doing that in 2020. This money and machines study was in some ways not super shocking. I mean, one of the things that it um, that it concluded was that consumers and business leaders are with regards to their emotions around money. We are anxious. We are fearful. We are concerned. That part didn't really surprise me much. But what do you, what did you think about the results? It didn't really surprise me much. But I will say this: it did. I would say jump us forward at least three to five years in. I would say more global thinking that this survey was done across 9,000 leaders and consumers and 14 countries, and there are great consistencies among the thinking. That may have surprised me a little bit, but I would definitely say the bigger surprise is that people are more willing to leverage technology. And I'm just excited about the possibilities that opens up for us. Yes. uh, To... Explain. People now see robots as a better way to manage their finances. The survey found that two out of three consumers and business leaders trust a robot more than a human to manage their finances. Even more, 73% of business leaders trust a robot more than themselves to manage their finances. And overwhelmingly, majority number of business leaders and consumers um, just seeming to be really much more um, entrusting of robots. What, do we, what did the survey mean by robots? What was the definition of, of robots? Robots actually doesn't quite mean, if if your listeners are familiar with Rosie the Robot back when we were watching the Jetsons, it doesn't doesn't mean that. It more means AI-enabled capabilities that would leverage um, far-reaching resources and analytics than a human would be able to do on its own. And then at the same time, with machine learning, enable the capability to learn from those transactions as the transactions proceed. And so we don't actually mean the Terminator type robots. We just mean the capability of leveraging, again, AI. Yeah, there's no R2-D2 in this uh, scenario. No, No, we might be dating ourselves with that. But but sure, there is no (laughs) R2-D2. And we're already leveraging so-called robots in our day-to-day financial lives. Can you give us some examples? I mean, um, this this is more widespread than we may think. Oh, it absolutely is. When you think about, even if you, just a, a simple example of picking up your smartphone, it is in most cases because you've already 
uh, performed a number of transactions, you've already made a number of queries, your smartphone is already anticipating what you're going to say, what you're going to think. When you're typing an email, it's already starting to uh, anticipate what your email might say based on what the information was in the email you received. And so when you think about your personal finances, we're already leveraging algorithms in the marketplace that would determine anomalies as it relates to your spending. And so if your spending patterns aren't happening the same way, then you will get an alert. And it's almost in real time. It's almost uncanny how you could be still standing at the register and get an alert that there is a fraudulent transaction. And then you have the opportunity to press yes for this is okay, or no, this is not okay. And so we're starting to see a lot more consumers leveraging it, controlling spending, looking for fraud detection, on-time payments. We're using it as relates to our online banking and mobile banking capabilities. So we've been leveraging AI to help us with our day-to-day activities. And we may not have even realized the virtual assistance that we, assistance that we've been getting. I think in that regard, we have come a long way because I remember when I first started to report on the boom in fintech, which involves some of these um, AI and machine learning technologies that you're describing, there was a lot more resistance and distrust of uh, whether or not this was actually efficient and you know, taking out the human element to some degree was also worrisome. But tell us about the evolution. Like what has encourage us to be more adapting and more trusting? I think what we've realized is that technology enables us to have qualitative and quantitative data that we can access to, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, to just make better decisions. Mm -hmm. There's so much data today. I mean, when I was in college, we would go to the library. And so our knowledge and data and research would be confined to the library system or books that you could borrow from another library. In today's environment, I could access a wealth of information from all over the world, from authors all all over the world. And that just provides... A, I would say daunting task to really assimilate and analyze that data to make informed business decisions relative to my industry, relative to what my business users might need. And so we have in a business um, perspective, we've really started to rely more and more on technology to help us in particular AI and machines, because there's just no way that one or two people could analyze that wealth of data. What do you think this suggests, um, Kimberly, about the future of professionals? Since so many of us do now trust a robot more than a human to manage our finances, uh, does that suggest that CFPs and CPAs, their jobs are in jeopardy? Or if you're studying um, for you know a Series 3 right now or your certified financial professional license that maybe you shouldn't, um, what, what, is, what is the risk? Excellent question. And I will have to say right up front, I am a CPA, so I am rather biased. I have to admit that right up front. But I will will tell you this. I think if you can imagine a cyborg, that's what I think it will be like. Mm -hmm. I don't think that humans will be replaced, although I know there are plenty of people who are questioning that. And, And let me just tell you why. Because for the major milestone decisions that happen in our lives, 
we will want someone who's been there, done that, have the stories, can talk us through it, give us the the context of what's happening in the environment, and maybe pull in some other things as it relates to our goals for the future that are non-quantifiable. And I don't think that we're going to rely completely on a machine to do that. The reason I said cyborgs is because I think it's a compliment. And I think that our financial advisors, our CPAs will leverage the insight that they are now able to provide to their clients and customers more easily and more availably than they ever have before. But I think they'll be using that data that the machine has provided. And so I'm excited about the possibilities of being able to tap into more structured data, even as the human is going to add some very human elements that I think we rely on when we're making major financial decisions. Right. Let the humans do what they do best, which is to connect and relate and empathize. I think this is a huge opportunity for people who may not have perhaps seen themselves in a technical field like finance or accounting because they weren't numbers, quote unquote, numbers people. But from what I'm hearing from you and this survey is like, that's not actually what the job is really going to require now and in the future, that, that, that these softer skills are really what will be attractive. I think that's absolutely true. And I know in colleges and universities and for our younger professionals in the accounting and finance profession, we have been talking a lot more about negotiation, problem solving, creative thinking, um, using motivational and empathetic skill sets, like you just said, in a way that really lessen some of the anxiety that people feel, especially in a COVID environment. All of the anxieties that someone has felt over the years have now been amplified. And for them, a technology robot, in this case, is a lot more trustworthy because they're so afraid of the uncertainty. We haven't even talked about it, but it's sort of like, maybe I should have asked this in the beginning, As humans, we're pretty irrational when it comes to managing our own money. So what are the advantages for people when we outsource some money decisions to data run unemotional (laughs) systems? Like this is a real opportunity for us to to not have to make these decisions that are, you know, really hard sometimes and we make these knee-jerk reactions, which we pay a price for and all the things. That is, that's so true. And I will tell you that most of us have grown up in environments where our family members have said, make sure you keep money for a rainy day. And I think that for many of us, we thought three to six months was going to work. And in some cases, the anxiety and maybe the irrational behavior is compounded because of the uncertainty of a COVID environment. And so Because we do make irrational decisions, like for instance, yes, you're getting a great sale, but do you need 10 of them? And so we may purchase 10 of them, but if we were leveraging a machine to help us, we could get an alert that would say, you don't need 10 pairs of whatever that is, or this is not in your budget. 
You are saving for a car, you're saving for a house, you're saving for objectives, and you need to save this amount at this interest rate to achieve this goal. And so a lot of us are looking forward to, if we're not already, to leveraging machines to help us with retirement plans, to help us with goals such as buying a house or really moving to another location um, geography-wise. And so we think machines will be in a much better position to give us the just the facts, ma'am, on whether or not we should pursue a purchase. Because without it, we would make, I would say, in general, some pretty irrational decisions. Have you ever made any irrational decisions with your money and maybe a time when you wished there was some sort of technology to help you with it? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So now I get really How much time do we have? I have to be really vulnerable. So I will say this short story. I grew up in the inner city of Baltimore and we had one TV. So when I decided that I was going to be a CPA, Part of that reason is because I was, I said to myself, I'm going to have a dishwasher and I'm going to have a TV in every room. I'm never going to have to fight to watch the cartoons, which only came on on Saturday mornings. Fast forward, I was probably around 34, old enough to know better. I let my friends talk me into going out the day after Thanksgiving because it was the best sales ever. And I came home with five TVs. So, yes, I have totally made and, and my irrational decisions. And my husband was thinking, what in the world are you doing mm-hmm. with five TVs? But I always wanted a TV in every room. And it was my chance. To it was do a it. pent up demand. I mean, it was that pent up I mean, demand. After this pandemic, I might eat out for the rest of my life. I am. I want to light my kitchen on fire. Um. <laughs> That's where I'm at right now. You wanted to be a CPA as young as I was reading the third grade. What inspires an eight-year-old to go, I want to do people's taxes for a living? (laughs) And actually, the the most interesting thing is that I wanted to be the boss of people's money. And, Mm. And that's how they described it. They said, CPAs manage the money. And all I could think about is I'm going to get a TV. I'm never washing another dish. And I'm going to be the boss of my sisters. And and so I stuck with it. So I have been at the intersection of finance and technology since 1988 when I went to college and realized that technology and finance are a great complement and that we just needed to really leverage more of its capabilities as it's continued to evolve. And today, in today's environment, there are so many opportunities where If you're in a finance department, that you could leverage technology to achieve greater operational excellence. Or if you're a consumer, leveraging technology to complement the decisions that you are making in your everyday life. How can we encourage more women and girls to enter this field, which is only growing and so many opportunities and yet so little representation from women in relation to men. So what what was it for you that encouraged you to do it? Um, despite maybe any, I don't know, were there any naysayers or you, know, you obviously didn't see yourself represented probably. So what encouraged you and what do you think we need to do to continue that? I, I think it needs to be the heart and the mind coming together. 
So for many of us, the heart is exactly what you just said, representation, leaders like you, leaders like me out in front, speaking to little girls and little boys all over the world and speaking with them about the amazing possibilities of a career in finance. And then as they start to think about, well, that just means doing taxes, then we open their eyes to talk about all of the other possibilities that you can do as a finance professional, as a CFO, as a chief accounting officer, as someone who does financial planning and analysis, someone who's a controller, uh, someone who may be managing the tax posture, or looking at integrated reporting or being an auditor. There's so many different career paths. And I think we need to see more women, more people of color, and, and certainly out in front talking about what those possibilities are. On the other side, we need to bring the mind in. And that is basically why this makes sense. Why does it make sense to be an inclusive leader, to have people who bring different perspectives and thoughts? One, because we want to connect with our clients and customers. We want to make sure that everyone knows that we're all anxious about, in this case, we're all anxious about money. We're all concerned about what the future holds. In most cases, many of us thought we would only be in a COVID environment probably for two months. And that was okay because our savings could handle it. Businesses could shoulder responsibility of paying their employees for two months. But what happens when it's dragging on upwards now close to a year starts to get a little more um, scary. And so I can rightly see why people would have concerns. This is exactly now where we need to have those different ideas, different business models, different ways of engaging with clients and customers, reaching them where they are, providing real life stories on things that we can do in new markets, new areas of opportunity that they may not have ever considered. They didn't think their clients were going to be ready to leverage uh, technology, to look at expense controls, to use intelligent processing, to reduce manual operations. And yet, I think COVID has moved us forward three to five years. And when you have people who are diverse, they are going to bring all of those different ideas, I think, to the table. So it's a combination of heart and head. And I think I stayed in it, to be honest, because I saw all of the and and I saw all of the possibilities and the places that you can leverage technology at the intersection of finance. Well said. And to think that when in last March, I have two kids that my son's school sent us home with two weeks worth of worksheets. <laughs> they thought like, it was only going to be two weeks. <laughs> two weeks, Kimberly. Uh, I'm reading in the Journal of Accountancy this wonderful profile of you. I'm going to link this on our website so people can get more background on you and your upbringing. And you've been always been such a go-getter. You were valedictorian. And you talk a little about how your, your late mother would instill the fear of God in you. Um, <laughs> and this is where I really relate to your story because my mother was similar where she would come to school and threaten to embarrass me if, you know, I wouldn't follow the, the straight and narrow. Um, but at the end of this piece, you provide readers with what you call winning with your A game and your principles for success. One is acknowledge, which is show respect for the people who came before you and benefit from their wisdom. Aptitude, commit to lifelong learning. Anticipate, prepare thoroughly for the 
opportunities that you seek and act boldly when you pursue them. And then accountability, take responsibility for your work. I want to focus on anticipate for a second, because being that you are at this intersection, this unique intersection of of finance and technology, what are you anticipating in the industry? What can you tell us? What does your crystal ball say? And what are the things that you are acting boldly on to pursue in your industry? Uh, That is a always an excellent question. And I will tell you, anticipating the future, and because I'm also a past chairman of the American Institute of CPAs, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. How do we ensure that everyone is coming along? We focus on financial literacy. We wanted people to understand the ramifications of the decisions that we make. We wanted people to make prudent and smart decisions And because COVID has really tested us, I think that people who may have thought they had more time now realize that they really didn't. And so I think on the other side of COVID, and even as we're we're talking about it today, I'll start with businesses. I think businesses are going to continue to look for omni-channel ways to be frictionless in how they engage with their their prospective clients uh, and also their business partners. I think it's going to be increasingly, increasingly important. And I think that that also means using virtual assistants, using chatbots, also at the same time, providing them self-service capabilities that are AI enabled that will help anticipate what the clients need. Because in today's environment, I think it is about convenience I think COVID has taught us that we can operate in a contactless way. I think they, we, we now realize we don't actually have to touch cash, that we can use new payment methodologies and how we engage with one another. And we need to start leveraging technology to that extent. I think we're going to be pursuing new business models. Mm-hmm. We had to get creative. They, we could not just be business as usual if we were going to thrive and certainly um, maybe just bare bones survive. And we've seen new industries really become extremely successful. All businesses didn't suffer the same way. Some of them actually did see increases and gains because they were able to be agile and think very quickly about how they leverage technology. Technology is probably not the number one hero because I would definitely say it's our health professionals who are on the front line. But definitely technology, if we were doing a top 10 list, would be on that list for business continuity, which is why cloud solutions are so important. And looking at how we recover from disasters, moving people quickly from being on-premise to being at home and not missing a beat, still doing financial consolidation and close, and still meeting and exceeding some of the responsibilities that shareholders expected. From a consumer perspective, I think we're going to be holding our corporate um, vendors and partners more accountable because a lot of what consumers expect are based on things that they are using in their everyday lives. So it's the ability to call for food. It's the ability to do retail e-commerce. It's what they were doing even before COVID with uh, hotels and airlines. And now they're not going to go back. So now every single corporation is going to have to rethink how they engage. And I think consumers are going to have even more and greater um, expectations. And I think it's going to be along, to some degree, some demographic lines, 
But I would see a lot of that converging together because COVID has just pushed the naysayers and the people who were probably dragging their feet on using AI and using machines, probably nudged them along a lot more aggressively than they probably would have liked. As you're speaking, I'm I'm thinking about how far small businesses and large businesses have come in terms of adopting technology and initially and perhaps even still there there the barrier is is the cost right there's a cost to engaging more with technology whether that's hiring technicians um, or you know remember when pe- businesses wouldn't accept credit cards because they didn't want to pay the, the, <laughs> yes. the fee yes. and now they don't want to take cash so we've completely yes. done a, a 180 on that and um, now there are other kinds of way, ways to pay, whether that's PayPal or these um, buy now, pay later services, which take an even bigger cut than credit cards. So my question is about cost. And do you see, for let's especially for the small business owner, where it, it is a big part of, of operation costs is, is maybe the, the cost to do becoming more tech driven. Is that going to diminish or do you think that um, it's not going to be as much of a barrier in, in years to come. And how is maybe Oracle playing a role in this? So I'll take the first part, then I'll go to the second. I think that our young people, and I spend quite a bit of time either in classrooms or speaking with young professionals, they are interviewing their prospective employers. And I say that because they're going to be asking questions about What technologies are you using? Are you using robotics process automation? Are you using AI? Are you using machine um, machine language in how you process transactions in your finance department in particular? Because they want to be right there being seasoned business partners and developing their skill sets and critical thinking. They don't necessarily want to do the thousands of spreadsheets. They don't want to spend time reconciling reconciling reports. They really want to add value and really get out there in front and take on some challenges of, of the business. And so I think the cost of not leveraging technology is that you will miss out on amazing high-performing talent. And to that degree, if they're not as motivated by money and statistics say they're not, They're going to be going for where they can get the biggest opportunity to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so in that regard, smaller organizations will be at a competitive advantage if they're able to embrace technology. Not only will they be more agile to some degree, but they'll also be able to leverage the talent that's coming on board. Now, that's by the same notion. That's the same advantage that's available for larger organizations to be an organization where new talent coming in can see themselves growing and maturing and actually becoming the senior leaders because everyone is always concerned about succession planning. And so we can't afford to have all of that outstanding talent that would have been groomed and learning about machine learning and robots and artificial intelligence, and then have them do all of that, a capstone, maybe even pursue a higher level degree, and then come to your organization and feel like they are totally stagnating because organizations haven't fully embraced technology. So I would definitely say there is a sense of urgency to start looking at some of these technologies, to embrace them, 
one of the things I know I said a lot was that you can't wait until it rains to build the arc. You have to start now because skating to where the puck is going to be is difficult when you're not skating at all. So we have to start anticipating the future and leveraging technology to give us more advantage. From an Oracle perspective, we're leading from the front. We are absolutely drinking our own champagne. We are leveraging uh, AI-enabled applications. We're leveraging software as a service throughout for our own business. So when we talk about it, we're not talking about what you should do. We're talking about what we do, what we live, our lessons learned, and how we're running almost a $40 billion business off of the very same solutions that we are speaking with executives and also it could be consumers about. And so I would just encourage everyone, if you're going to step out and talk about technology, you definitely have to be an organization that's willing to drink your own champagne. And walk the walk. Yeah. Champagne's a lot tastier than (laughs) Kool-Aid. Exactly. I like that. that. Kimberly Ellison Taylor, it has been so lovely to connect with you. Thank you so much for these personal stories these forecasts and everyone listening, the Money Machines survey study is available at somoneypodcast.com and also oracle.com slash money and machines. Kimberly, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much to Kimberly Ellison Taylor. Again, to look at the survey yourself, check out oracle.com slash money and machines. Thanks again to Oracle for supporting this episode. See you back here tomorrow for Ask Farnoosh. I hope your day is so money.